let's join together and again show our appreciation for our instrumentalists and vocalists for leading us this morning. And an extra special thank you to Amy and Patrick Fata, our directors of worship ministry, for helping us to worship in spirit and in truth. Let's give thank you so much. And it is, it is good, it is needful that we spend time singing and worshiping and celebrating the greatest gift that has ever been given. Which of course, as you know, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Which is what we have sung about, what we have celebrated today. And what we should really be celebrating every day. But this time of year, around Christmas time, we give special emphasis to remembering that great gift. You know, the Bible says so plainly, uh, in the most famous, perhaps the most familiar verse in all the Bible, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And that, that truly is good news. That is, that is good news. And yet, we do not always see it as the good news that it is. We don't always recognize it as the good news that it is. It's interesting that throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, while he was on this earth teaching, he would often say things like this. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What, what a strange thing to say. What, what an odd thing to say. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What does that mean? Well, I think we get what that means. If we're honest, there are times when we hear things, but don't really understand them. There are things that, there are times that we see things, but we don't really perceive their true significance. We don't really perceive their, their, their true meaning. I don't know if they're still very popular today. In fact, I'm pretty sure that, that they're not. By, but magic eye posters and books used to be all, all the rage. They seemed to be everywhere. They were in doctor's offices. They were in, in waiting rooms. You could buy them at these little kiosks that they would have in, in the mall. And you could buy these books. And, and uh, as a kid, I, I was fascinated by these things. Because you would, you would stare at this magic eye poster or, or book. And you'd let your eyes unfocus just a little bit like most of you are trying to do right now as, as, as you look at the screens. And then... Wow! All of a sudden, something appears, something just pops out, something you see that you didn't previously see. But now it's obvious, and now it's almost like you can't unsee it. For those of you that are wondering, there's a teapot that's hidden in that picture somewhere. Now, and by the way, parents, that's what every child wants for Christmas. A magic eye poster with a teapot in it somewhere. I mean, it, it, it is, it's, it's so exciting. But, but the point, the point I'm trying to make is this. Could it be that many people go throughout the Christmas scene, uh, without the Christmas season, without truly seeing Christ? Without truly knowing Christ. Could it be that many people know the name of Jesus? They know many of the details surrounding the birth of Jesus. But they don't really know who he was or why he came to earth or what the big deal is. Could it be that many people appreciate baby Jesus lying in a manger 
but they don't love him as the savior that they need, as the Lord that they need to submit their lives to? I think the obvious answer is yes. And so before we spend just a few minutes looking into God's word, let's pray together and let's ask God to give us eyes to see, to give us ears to hear, to give us hearts that love the truth concerning Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we do thank you for another time, another opportunity to study your word, to consider the truth concerning Christ. God, we do thank you that you would send your son for us to be our savior, to be the one that we so desperately need. Father, help us all to rightly understand who Jesus is, to know why he came. And Father, give us faith to rightly respond in joy and worship and gratitude unto you. And we pray this in Jesus' good and precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible and want to join me in John chapter 1, that may be a helpful thing. And as you turn there, as we... Think about the birth of Jesus, as I've kind of already alluded to this morning. Uh, we want to answer the question today of, of why is this such a big deal? Why do we sing? Why do we celebrate? What is so important about this baby being born? Well, John chapter 1 will certainly help us in answering these questions. And the first answer that, that we see, the first thing that we are confronted with immediately when we go to John chapter 1 is this, that the baby born in Bethlehem was and is in fact God. He was God. And if you miss the identity of the baby who was born, then you have missed the entire point of, of Christmas. If you miss the identity of the one who was born, then Christmas becomes just another sentimental holiday. Now, nativity scenes are beautiful things, are, are wonderful things. And this time of year, as you go around town and perhaps in your own house or in your own front yard or in the front yards of, of your neighbors, we see nativity scenes all over the place. They come in all shapes and sizes and, and, and colors, and they usually paint for us a, a beautiful picture of calm and peace and joy and of focus upon the one in in the manger. And whether your nativity scene is expensive, like, like this one, uh, that's a very nice nativity scene, expensive, uh, carved out of wood, it's beautiful, or whether your nativity scene is maybe a little bit cheaper, like this one. Uh, maybe your nativity scene says Fisher Price on it. That, that's okay. Again, the point is the same. The purpose is, is, is the same. That they are to draw us, our attention and our focus to the one in the manger. They're to kind of force us to ask the question, who is this one who is laid in the manger? Who is this one that the angels sang about and celebrated? If you're in John chapter 1, look at verse 1. John begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we see that the Word, this Word, whoever He is, is eternally existing with God as God. Now, jump down in your Bibles to verse 14. John tells us this, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
Oh, we see something so important and so good here that Jesus is the Word. The Word who was God, who is God, who was existing with God from eternity past and He has become flesh. And this helps us tremendously in knowing why we should make such a big deal about this baby, this one who was born because he was, in fact, God in the flesh, God who lived among us. This also helps us in answering a a, a whole host of other questions that people often have about the Bible, about Jesus, about some of the claims that are made about Jesus. People ask, and, and rightfully so, how could a man walk on water? How how could a man instantaneously heal sick people and, and raise the dead, as Jesus is, is reported to have done? How could a man feed thousands of people with just a few little loaves and fishes? And how could one man, dying on a cross thousands of years ago, have any relevance for, for me today? How could one man's death thousands of years ago... Pay for sin. Be a sacrifice for sin that has some impact or relevance as to my relationship with God. Those are good questions. Those Those are great questions. And again, the answer is found largely in the identity of the one who was born. It's true. Man cannot walk on water, but God who created all things, who created water, who holds every molecule together, it's, it's no problem for him. Man cannot instantaneously heal diseases and raise the dead, but the one who created us, the one who knows us, the one who knows you inside and out and everything about you, the one who is the source of all life and the giver of life, it's no problem for him, a mere man could never die a death that could pay the price, that could pay the penalty for sin. But if God were to become a man, if God were to live a sinless and pure and perfect life and to die a substitutionary death to take our place, to take our shame, to take the punishment and the, our guilt upon himself, then that would be a life of infinite value and worth. That would be a sacrifice of infinite value and worth. And this is why the birth of Jesus Christ is such big news. This is why the angels rejoiced. This is why the shepherds came and would kneel before him. This is why Mary and Joseph were so humbled and were so amazed at the announcement that was made to them by the angels of this one who would be born. Remember that after the angel visited Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, we read this in verse 22 about the birth of Christ. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Why do we celebrate? Because Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. But not only that, because Jesus is God, because He is Emmanuel, God with us, this means then that this baby born in Bethlehem was and is the perfect, the ultimate communication from God to mankind. 
This time of year, we, we love to send and receive Christmas cards and Christmas letters and, and it's fun and it's exciting to get things in the mail and, and to open those and to see the, the pictures and to read the letters. Um, at our house, we have a thing that looks like this. It's a wire thing. You can see it's kind of bare now uh, because I took this picture a few days ago. But don't worry, we are more popular than, than what that picture betrays. <laughs> We do receive more, more than one, two, three, four, five Christmas cards. <laughs> I think we do. But the point is right. So why do we do that? We, 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 we put that on the wall and, and we put the Christmas cards and the pick, which by the way, incidentally, then just think of this. If you send us a Christmas card, you could be featured on that wall right there. The, the, the joy of, of, of that alone is worth the price of the stamp. But why do we do this? Why do we send cards and letters and things like this? What, because we want to know one another. We want to be known. Uh, we want to see and rejoice in, in, in one another's lives and in, in what ha- has been taking place. We want to express love and care and concern to one another. Think of it. In God sending Jesus, God has sent us the perfect, the ultimate revelation of himself. The communication of himself to us. Just listen to how the book of of Hebrews begins. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 begins like this. Long ago in a galaxy far, far away. I'm just kidding. That's not, that's not what it says. It says this. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That is incredible. That is good news that is worth celebrating. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus shows us the perfect character and the nature of God. What is God like? Who is he? How should we understand him? Look to Jesus. There is your answer. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word. Now, have you ever wondered why the word? Why is Jesus called the word? Why did the Holy Spirit inspire the Apostle John to write those words? In the beginning was the word. Aren't there other things, maybe better things that we could call Jesus? Why not have called Jesus the action? Why does that in the beginning was the action? That sounds exciting. That sounds intriguing. Isn't it true that God is the God of action? Isn't it true that God gets things done? He moves, he works, he accomplishes his purposes. Yes, all those things are true. But the problem with that is that actions all by themselves can be unclear can be ambiguous to us. Let's pretend that we're all sitting here this morning just as we are and then somebody walks in late. Now, please do not look at the doors. We don't want to embarrass anyone if they were to walk in late to the service right now. But just imagine that somebody were to walk in, the service started about 10.30 and now they, they walk in now. We all see the action. We all observe the action. But in reality, we know very little. In reality, we know very little about the situation that we are seeing. Why is this individual late? Maybe they're late because they had to take a family 
member to, to the emergency room. Some crisis has occurred. Maybe they're late because the alarm clock just didn't go off. Maybe they're late because they got up and they made a big leisurely breakfast uh, of biscuits and gravy and pancakes and crispy bacon and sausage patties and dark side roasters coffee with just a little bit of half and half in there. And, and so maybe they're late because they ate and they ate and they ate and then they came to church. We don't know. Or maybe they're late because they stopped to help somebody who was broken down on, on the side of the road. The problem is we just don't know. Actions all by themselves can be very unclear can be very ambiguous. And so, uh, Christ is not called the action. But perhaps we can think of a better name. Why not call him the emotion or the passion? After all, isn't it true that God is passionate? He's passionate for his glory. Isn't it true that God is love? Yes, he is. Isn't it, isn't it true that God desires to save people and to redeem people and to bring uh, people to himself that they would be reconciled unto him? Yes, all those things are true. But again, emotion and passion all by themselves without explanation can be very unclear to us. Again, imagine that I walk into a room and I, I see you laughing. Why are you laughing? I have no idea. Maybe you've heard a funny joke. Maybe that's nervous laughter. You're in a very uncomfortable situation. Or maybe that's laughter of joy because something wonderful has happened. I don't know. Or maybe I walk in the room and see you crying. Why are you crying? Has some tragedy occurred or are these tears of joy or is this tears of thanksgiving because God has answered some prayer in your life that you've been praying for for years? Again, the point is we don't know because emotion and and passion without any explanation can be confusing, can be ambiguous to us. But God does not intend to be unclear. God does not have a a speech impediment, so to speak. And so he has revealed himself fully and clearly in the word. In the beginning was the word. Jesus is the perfect, clear, accurate communication from God to man. Now, please don't misunderstand anything that that, that I've just uh, said. Jesus shows us action. He shows us the work of God, the power of God, the might of God. And Jesus certainly shows us the heart of God, the compassion of God, the the emotion of God. As we read the Bible, as we read the Word of God, we learn about the eternal Word. We see Jesus' actions. We see His miracles. We see the power of God. Again, we see in Him the heart of God, the love of God, the compassion of God. As we read and see the teachings of Christ, we see and read the very words of God, truth from God to us. If you're still in John chapter 1, look down at verses 16 to 18. Verse 16, John writes, For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Oh. Again, this is such good news. Jesus makes the Father known. Jesus reveals God to us. And we should recognize, we should add, that Jesus 
is credible to do this. Jesus is authoritative and qualified to do this because Jesus has not just seen a glimpse of the glory of God. He is the full radiance of the glory of God, existing as God, with God, from eternity past, as it were, face to face with the Father. So Jesus can be trusted as a reliable, authoritative, qualified revelation of God to man. He's the fullness of God giving us grace and truth. We may know grace in Christ. We may know truth in Christ because of him. So why do we celebrate this baby that has been born? Well, number one, because the baby born in Bethlehem was and is God. Number two, because the baby born in Bethlehem was and is the perfect communication from God to mankind. And next, we celebrate because the baby born in Bethlehem was and is the life-giving light that draws us to himself. Each and every Christmas, it's, it's, it's exciting to drive around town, to drive around different neighborhoods and, and to see the different light displays that people have set up, to see the ways that, that people decorate their, their houses in, in all kinds of light. And perhaps you do this. Perhaps you are one of those people that they can only be white lights. There are no colored lights of red and green and blue and purple. Or, or maybe for you, it's color everywhere. Or maybe you buy one of those things that you just plug in and just projects thousands and millions of lights onto your house. And, and that's fine. There's lots of good ways, different ways to decorate your, your house for, for Christmas. Well, this morning I thought it'd be fun to share with you how I decorated my house for uh, Christmas uh, this year. I, you know, that's not my house. And, uh, and more importantly, that's not my electric bill. And so I'm, I'm thankful. The, uh, but why do we do that? Why? Well, oh, because these light displays are beautiful. These light displays draw us in. We sometimes just go out on driving trips looking for these kinds of light displays. Exploring, looking because we want to see and we want to enjoy these kinds of things. Well, in John 1, look at verses 4 and 5. John writes this of Christ the Word. It says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Later in His life and ministry, Jesus affirmed this very thing, that He was and is the light of the world. He said in John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Fact is, we need, obviously, we need life or we're dead. We need light. Otherwise, we are clueless. We are stumbling around in the darkness without any idea what we're doing or where we're going. And here, John tells us that Jesus is both. Jesus is light and he, he is life. Certainly, Jesus is life in the sense that he gives us physical life. He's the creator of life. He's the sustainer of life. And Jesus gives us spiritual life in that we may have the gift of eternal life through him and in him. It's amazing to consider the fact that Jesus is both the light by which we see and he's the one that we need to see. 
He's the one that we need to know. He's the one that we need to worship and to follow. He's the one that we need to be drawn to. As John says, he's the one shining in the darkness. Now it's interesting in John chapter 1 verse 5, this Greek word translated as overcome or comprehend or conquer, depending on your English translation, it's that Greek word katalambano. And it's a, it's a, it is similar, if I can make this comparison, it's similar to our English word grasp. As you well know, the word grasp can have a couple different meanings. If I were to say to you, you know, did you grasp what uh, uh, the math teacher was trying to teach us this morning about parallelograms? Uh, that's a word I just pulled out. I can't even remember what a parallelogram is, but I know it's a math thing. And, uh, and so if I use the word grasp in that way, you may not know what a parallelogram is, like me, but you may know what the word grasp means in that sentence. It means did you understand? Did you, did you comprehend? Or if I were to say to you, could you please grasp this baseball and throw it as hard as you can. Again, you understand exactly what that word grasp means in this context. Well, what does John mean here when he uses this word that is sometimes translated as overcome, sometimes it's translated as comprehend, sometimes it's translated as, as, as conquer. What does John mean when he says that the darkness has not overcome the light? The darkness has not overcome it, the light. What is John saying exactly? Is he saying that Christ would be victorious? That Jesus is the conqueror? That hell and Satan and sin and death will not have the ultimate triumph, but that Jesus will be victorious? Or is he saying that darkness and those trapped in darkness cannot comprehend Christ as they should? That they, that they do not discern Christ as they should? That those trapped in darkness cannot see the glory of God in the face of, of Jesus Christ? That they are blinded by sin and spiritual death so that they don't behold Christ as they should? And I think the simple answer is, is yes. Both are true. Both are relevant. Both are, I think, implied here throughout John chapter 1. It could be that in this one verse, John is able to explain that all the powers of sin and hell and darkness will not conquer Christ. And he's explaining that on our own, apart from the work of God in our hearts and in our minds, we can't see Christ as we should. Which is why, again, why we began our time together praying as we did asking that God would give us eyes to see, that he would give us ears to hear, that he would give us hearts to love and to know Christ because on our own we are unable. We are so easily blinded and led astray by sin and darkness. And this is a very sobering truth. I know Christmas is such a joyous time and such a celebratory time, but this is a sobering truth that reminds us just how dependent upon God we are, how we need His grace, we need His wisdom, we need His work in our hearts and in our minds. And this also then leads us to one last reason why we should and must celebrate this child who was born, because the baby born in Bethlehem, he was and is truly good. Well, we were not. We were lost and dead in self-centered sin and misery. 
I realize that that is a mouthful. That's not an easy point that you know, you're just going to whip out on, on, on Twitter. But that's an important point. It's an important truth that we need to come face to face with, that we need to recognize. We need to see the reality of Jesus' goodness and of our badness, our lostness, our deadness without Him. You know, it's easy this, this time of year because things are so exciting that we can, we just kick back. It's easy for us to just kick back and just watch a whole bunch of Hallmark movies, uh, where, you know, there's always a happy ending and this, you know, I don't even know how many movies are represented there. This doesn't even scratch the surface. You know what I mean? Of what's available on the Hallmark channel and, and, and the Netflix channel and now Disney Plus and just movie after movie after movie that all always ends in a happy ending where somebody always gets married or, or at least engaged and human virtue and human goodness is just celebrated and always seems to win the day and yet at Christmas time we celebrate the fact that Jesus came to earth not because we were so good not because we were so virtuous because we were so bad we were so lost and dead without him. We're lost and dead in our sin. If you're still in John 1, look at verses 10 and 11. John tells us he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. This is an understatement. should be obvious. Jesus deserved to be loved. He deserved to be praised. He deserved to be celebrated and worshipped. And yet, he was rejected. He was despised. He was treated like a stranger. He was treated worse than a stranger. He was treated like an enemy. And he came anyway, fully knowing that that would be the reality. Jesus came anyway, fully knowing that he would one day lay down his life, that he would go, that he would be nailed to a Roman cross, that he would take upon himself the punishment and the shame that we deserve. Jesus came in goodness and grace and love, not to good people, but to people who hated him people who despised him. This is incredible goodness. This is amazing grace. This is kindness. This is love on Jesus' part to come into such darkness and to save people like us. And as we said earlier, Jesus' life, Jesus' mission would not end in defeat. It would not end in death and destruction, but that Jesus would ultimately be victorious. The darkness would not triumph over him. Look at verses 12 and 13. It says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus does rescue and redeem and adopt people for his glory. And listen, if you are not already, you can become a child of God Today, you can be made clean and forgiven in Christ today. But here's the thing you must know 
that salvation is not dependent upon you. Your goodness, your works, your family heritage, your family lineage, none of that. Your salvation, your adoption into God's family is entirely on the basis of what Jesus has done for you. In your place, on your behalf. It is founded completely upon the work of Jesus Christ. The Christmas message, the gospel message, is all about what God has done for us. Jesus has come to save us, to do for us what we could never do on our own. And notice in verse 12 that we are to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to turn to Him. We are to trust in Him by faith and to receive the free gift of eternal life and adoption into God's family. Later, towards the very end of John's Gospel, John would write these words in verses 30 and 31 of chapter 20. He would say, No, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. To believe in Christ to turn to Him, to love Him, to worship Him, to follow Him. I hope it it should be obvious by now that this is the most important, the most significant decision that anyone can ever make in life. But you also need to know that the opposite is true as well. To reject Jesus, to choose to remain in darkness, to refuse to acknowledge your sin and your need for Christ, that has serious and eternal consequences. You'll probably remember the very first verse that we looked at this morning was John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But here's what follows John 3.16 in verses 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. To reject Jesus is to stand condemned. To reject Jesus is to stand accountable for your sins. It is, as as John explains here, to invite the wrath and the judgment of God upon yourself. The truth is how you respond to Jesus. It is the most important decision you will ever make. The question is, do you have eyes to see? the beauty and the glory and the goodness of Christ? Do you have ears to hear the good news of life and forgiveness that is made available in Him? Now, perhaps you're here, and this is maybe the first time that you've ever considered these things, that you've ever heard these things in this way, and and, and if that's the case, we are thrilled to be able to share this with you and to invite you and to even plead with you and, and, and to beg you that if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you've never confessed your sin and asked Him to save you and to make you His child, that you can do that today. 
You can do that today. You can do that even right now as I'm still talking. Feel free to tune me out and to, and to speak to God in the quietness of your own heart and mind and to ask Him to save you, to forgive you, to redeem you and to make you His child. And He will give you the gift of eternal life. You can begin a relationship with God today. You can know His grace, His love, His presence in your life because of Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You can find rest in Christ today. Jesus is not a reluctant Savior. He did not come kicking and screaming. He came willingly and he is able to save anyone and everyone who comes to him. He's able and willing to save anyone and everyone who turns to him in faith and trust and believes in him, trusting him and what he has done. And if you if you have questions about this, again, if this is the first time that you are hearing this information, it's natural, it's understandable that you would have questions, it would be our joy and our privilege to talk with you today after the service. We would love our pastors and elders will be available down front and at the doors as you leave. We would love to talk with you, to discuss these things, to answer questions, to pray with you. It would be our joy to do that. But the point is, the the thing we've been trying to emphasize this morning, through the songs that we have sung, through this time now, looking into God's Word, is this, Jesus is worth celebrating. It is worthy to give our time and our attention and our lives and our love and our devotion to Him He is God with us. He is truth and grace. He is God's revelation to us. He is light. He is life. He is good. And He invites anyone and everyone to find life in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank You. We praise You for the truth we could consider. For the wonderful reality that we can sing about because Christ has come. Thank you again for sending your Son to be our Savior. Lord, we ask that you would move, that you would work in every heart and mind here today. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to love the truth concerning Christ. May we walk with you. May we glorify you. May we know the joy and the peace that is found in you through Jesus Christ. And we pray this all in his good and precious name. Amen. Amen. If you would